This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. We think that there's a right and a wrong answer for everything, and it causes a lot of stress because that means that your decisions are either correct or not, and that's so much pressure to choose right every time. And both of these thought patterns, this rumination, this black and white thinking, are at play when we second guess ourselves and they really shake our confidence. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about stress in older Canadians. We'll find out how to stop second-guessing yourself and find confidence. We'll explore cooking with zucchini. And lastly, we'll discuss how to avoid yoga injuries. But first, a little bit of business. Are you stressed out, feeling down, having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, enhance your mood, and sleep better. Discover De-Stress, Merry Mind Omega, and Sleep 8. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. And for more information, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Juliana Rosario Young is a mother and naturopath, passionate in guiding individuals into their naturopathic journey. She has an interest in family health and always prioritizes stress management in all the patients she sees. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I am well. How are you? I'm doing pretty well today. We're going to talk about stress, but I think a lot of the discussion about stress, you know, that we read in the media has been focusing on younger Canadians. And I think lost in the mix are the specific issues impacting older Canadians. Would you agree with me on that? Oh, definitely. I feel uh, and I do hear a lot about the stresses of the working parents and the children going back to school, but I almost never hear much about the stresses that are related to the retired population, for example. And it's kind of ironic because that's the population that's been suggested to stay home. Yeah. The older population is, is so much more vulnerable just because of their reduced immunity. So Exactly. So how do you think, or what have you seen in your practice, that COVID has impacted the older generation of Canadians? What's different for them? One of the stresses that I see impact the older uh, generation of Canadians is actually the, the difference in type of stresses compared to the working parents and the children going back to school. Working parents and children going back to school, they seem to have a very concrete big stresses that hit them, while this population have very small and uh, subtle st- everyday stresses that hit them. Right, because their everyday lives are different in retirement or, you know, ending, you know, winding down with their work life. Their day to day is just very different. But but I think it's more than that, too. Right. Like in general, if you're already more sedentary being forced to be even more sedentary is, is, is problematic, right? Exactly. And this population, we have to remember, a lot of them actually have a retired lifestyle. That was their lifestyle. And with the past two years, they haven't even been able to travel. So they've been forced to change lifestyle. And that's a very big change. 
What are some of the other daily impacts that you're seeing that, that are sort of making older Canadians, you know, react differently to COVID? How else in their life has COVID sort of impacted them? I think recently, because things are slowly opening back up, people are actually still not comfortable going out. So it's almost like they're allowed to, but their stresses and their fear around COVID is stopping them from going out. They might be asking themselves questions like, well, will there be a lot of people where I'm about to go? What do I do if others don't respect uh, distancing rules? And unfortunately, a lot of these questions cause a lot of extra stress because they're not things that they can actually control themselves. Right. They're relying on the community to help protect them. Exactly. Uh, Also, like I'm finding like my mother's of that age and she used to do lots of activities. And, you know, for older Canadians, those activities tend to be structured, whether it's like, you know, like a Zumba class or a reading group or just, you know, people getting together to play a game. You know, those activities take on a greater importance because they fill a greater part of the time. But with COVID, it was harder for that generation to actually, you know, do those types of things, right? Mm -hmm. So I would even say that these little everyday activities can be even stretched out to doctor's appointments. Doctor's appointments now are through the phone most of the time, and they don't get the face-to-face one-on-one care as they used to. Are you personally seeing uh, your patients in person or are you seeing them through telemedicine? Even myself, a lot of them, I'm seeing them through telemedicine right now. Right. So with all these little stresses that, you know, like we don't want to belittle it, right? Like when, when we talk about the little stresses, there's a cumulative effect, right? Yeah, definitely. All of them, because they're so constant and they're present every day, they actually become chronic stress. And in the literature, and a lot of people know this, chronic stress brings up a lot of other health issues that are very, very um, serious, including digestive issues, cardiovascular issues, sleeping issues, the list goes on. And when you speak about chronic stress, can you sort of differentiate that and sort of the stress that we might feel in the moment, just briefly? Acute stress, I would say, is something that happens in the moment and that it ends uh, within a short period of time. So there's an ending to that acute stress. In stress, the stress is always there, no matter the intensity, but there never seems to be an ending. So people are kind of, they don't know what to expect. So not knowing what to expect just that in itself is stressful and you have to constantly hold this feeling throughout your days. Right. So I guess, you know, when you're, when you're talking about stress in the moment or anecdotal stress, it's, it's sort of like you can identify what's causing you the stress. Oh, that person is intimidating me. Oh, this traffic jam is frustrating me or, or whatever it might be with, but with chronic stress, I guess the problem is, you know, it's everywhere and particularly with the pandemic, we can't, we can't fix it. It's out of our hands, right? Exactly. The control is out of our hands while in the acute stress, you know exactly when it ends. You know when the work deadline has passed. You know when the traffic is finished. So if that's true, if we can't fix the cause of the stress, how do you suggest we deal with that if we're suffering from chronic stress? 
So stressors will always be present in everyone's life. It's really how we respond to the stress that makes the world of difference. Okay. So can you elaborate on that a bit? Like, how do we do that? So I think in this context, what's very important is to work on one's health and one's safety. Okay. So let's start with physical safety. Physical safety is uh, things as simple as respecting uh, the rules right now, wearing your mask, washing your hands appropriately, and the next step to that would be boosting your own immunity to make sure that you have the best health that you can have. So that includes moving, that includes uh, eating well and sleeping well. So it's nothing, it's not rocket science. It's the stuff that everyone knows about. Okay. So let's give people some examples of ways they can boost their immunity. Boosting their immunity, they can actually add vitamin D and probiotics uh, in their diet as well. Okay. Vitamin D is known to be the sunshine vitamin. And as we age, the ability to make vitamin D through sunshine actually uh, decreases. So even though people try to go outside, most people don't get enough by going out. Uh, North American, the angle of north to the sun is actually less. Dark-skinned individuals also need more vitamin D exposure. And as the years have passed by, more and more research has been helping us understand that vitamin D actually helps an array of conditions, including general health and the immunity of a human being. Okay. And then you also mentioned probiotics. Yes. Probiotics uh, is another supplement that's been getting a lot of attention. In this context of immunity and stress, um, it's quite interesting because 70% of our body's immune system is actually located in our gut. So when we know this information, it actually makes a lot of sense that having a good bacterial flora in your intestines will be helping your immunity as well. Okay, so with probiotics, like, are you talking about it from a food source or are you talking about it from a supplement perspective or both? I would say included in both. Food, of course, um, has probiotics, but then we're talking about, you know, that extra boost of immune, uh, of your immune system. There's no problem going on with a supplement. Okay. And in terms of a supplementation, is that something you would do every day and what sort of dosage would you recommend? Vitamin D and probiotics are safe to be taken every day, yes. Okay, great. So I think you also mentioned lifestyle choices. What sort of things would have you seen that work for your patients? One of the top things that I like to recommend my patients is something called forest bathing. Um, it's a concept that started in the 1980s in Japan, and it's been getting a, a lot more attention lately. Forest bathing is exactly what it sounds like. So it encourages people to go in the forest and to just spend time there. It's been shown to decrease blood pressure, pulse, heart rate, and muscle tension. And more on the chemical side of things, it's been shown to decrease cortisol, uh, the stress hormone, and also improve immune function. Yeah, you know, even though I live in Toronto and you think of it as the big city, 
The one nice thing about Toronto is it has all kinds of green space and ravines that you can go walk in. And I actually notice a difference if I'm walking the dog in amongst the trees as opposed to sort of walking on a city street. I actually do feel differently. I can, I, I sort of, I feel the stress leaving my body. So I actually can attest to this. I, th- I think it's real. Well, that's a great example because a lot of people think, oh, I'm in a big city and I don't have access to a forest. It's really the idea of being in contact with nature. Yeah. So any nature is good. I also enjoy gardening. And, and you know, like it's, uh, I don't enjoy all elements of gardening. I could do without the weeding, but there's a sense of satisfaction mm-hmm. and, and sort of, I mean this both literally and figuratively, grounding. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Gardening is one of the top activities that has research on when it comes to being a stress reliever. And gardening or choosing any form of activity or art that makes you be in a state of flow is actually the thing that you're looking for to reduce your stress. When a person is in a state of flow, they are so deeply engrossed in that activity that that attention is similar to uh, that energy you have when one meditates. I can garden, but I can't meditate. Like if you ask me, if you ask me to sit still, shut my eyes, and calm my mind, I couldn't do it. But if I'm in the backyard, sort of attending to something, I can shut everything else off and and just be in that moment. So exactly, there you go. That's exactly what we're looking for, and it can be anything from painting, starting a new hobby, building something. The list can go on, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Are there any other lifestyle uh, ideas that you have that you share with your patients that you think listeners might benefit from? I think uh, one that would be really important and simple is just regular FaceTime with family. And when I say FaceTime, it could be digital because of our restrictions. But as long as there is that connection still with people, I think that that's one of the most beneficial ones, I would suggest. Okay. We have time to cover one last area. Are there any sort of nutraceuticals that you might recommend that would help people sort of uh, ease into that Zen moment or, or, or help sort of calm nerves? Anything you can recommend? Yes. If I had to choose one more, my personal favorite is really magnesium. Why? It almost helps in all spheres that we're talking about, so psychological and physical. Magnesium is a mineral that our body needs in many, many different reactions. And on that front, on the more physical front, uh, it helps release muscle tension. And of course, when people are stressed, they usually hold tension in their muscles. So it helps with that, first of all. And second of all, it helps with just creating a more relaxed mood in people. A lot of people take it before sleep to be relaxed enough to go to sleep. So I think that the psychological and physical front of magnesium and how it helps just really, really makes sense. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. That was Dr. Juliana Rosario-Jung. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. 
Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Heather Lillico is a registered holistic nutritionist and yoga and meditation instructor. She helps overachieving, people-pleasing perfectionists find balance in their life. She knows it's possible to break through anxiety and self-doubt and step into a life filled with confidence by incorporating nutrients to nourish your mind and mindfulness techniques to slow you down. For more information, you can visit heatherlillico.com or follow her on Instagram at heather underscore L-I-L. Welcome back to the show, Heather. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm always good. because <laughs> That's a good be- answer. Because I look at the world with confidence and I move forward and I have plans, but not everybody's like that, right? This is true. Well, good for you for having that confidence already. I love that. Yeah. Well, you fake it till you make it, I think is the truth. But um, <laughs> there's people, you know, who find themselves in situations where, where they second guess themselves, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And this, you know, this can happen in all sorts of situations. I think everyone second guesses themselves about the big decisions in life. Like, should I leave my job or should I stay? Should I change careers? Is this partner the right fit for me? We all have those decisions that weigh heavily. And as adults, we make about 35,000 and choices every day, which works out to a decision about every two seconds that you're awake. And that takes up a lot of mental space. But when we start second guessing ourselves in small decisions, that's when it becomes a problem. Like being at a restaurant and the server asks you super salad and it takes you forever to decide. And then afterwards, you're wondering if you should have chosen soup over salad. I have actually chased a server down before changing my decision panicking that I made the wrong one. Or another common way second guessing comes out is replaying interactions with people and wondering if you said the wrong thing or you or you offended someone. And if you're second guessing yourself constantly, then that's even more mental space devoted to your decisions with all of that self-doubt. And, and that's when it shakes your confidence and becomes an issue. When you're talking about sort of those issues, like the, are there patterns, thinking patterns that people are sort of finding? Is it like a thought loop that they're in? Yeah, absolutely. We see sort of two main unhelpful thinking patterns that come up when someone's second-guessing themselves. So one of them is rumination, and this is where we replay it over and over. 
in our head. So let's say you had to have a tough discussion with a friend or a loved one, and then afterwards you're wondering, could it have gone differently? Should I have said something else? Should I not have said anything at all? And you might not be able to sleep because you're ruminating, replaying things over and over. And these types of thoughts are unhelpful because when we replay things, we're really living in the past, right? It's a form of not owning our decisions. We kind of have one foot out the door wondering, what if when the decision is already done? And the other unhelpful thinking pattern is black and white thinking, sometimes called all or nothing thinking. And it's where we think that there's a right and a wrong answer for everything. And it causes a lot of stress because that means that your decisions are either correct or not. And that's so much pressure to choose right every time. And both of these thought patterns, this rumination, this black and white thinking, are at play when we second guess ourselves and they really shake our confidence. Okay, so if somebody is experiencing these patterns... How do you stop it? How do you get out of those ruts? I think the first step is noticing and acknowledging that this is happening. We can't change something if we don't know it's it's happening. So we need to become more aware of our patterns. You know, is there a time that seems to trigger the second guessing? For me, it was anything that used to be, anything that was work-related. I felt like I had no confidence in my decisions in that domain. It kept triggering me to think that I wasn't good enough. Like people would find out that I had no idea what I was doing. And it turns out most adults don't know what they're doing. Fake it till you make it, right? Yep. <laughs> and this is where mindfulness can play a big role because it helps us become more aware of our thoughts and our emotions. And this is what I teach to my clients. Even just a few conscious deep breaths throughout the day can disrupt this process or asking yourself a few times in a row, what's really going on here? And each time you answer, go deeper and deeper because it's really not about the small choice that you have to make. It's about what it means underneath or what we think it means underneath. I would go even further. I think it's your mood and your frame of mind. You can take a neutral set of events and if I'm in a good mood, I can I can sort of think about something that I've said or done and I'm okay with it. But if I'm feeling in one of my moods and I go back and think about the same transaction, my perspective is completely different on it. Oh my gosh, you're so right. Yeah, it's this lens, right? The yeah. colors, whatever the events are that have happened. Yeah. And I find that that comes up in the middle of the night. So like, I've now convinced myself that any thoughts I have in the middle of the night, unless of course it's a brilliant idea and I sometimes have those, but if I'm feeling particularly upset about things that have happened and I'm ruminating, if I could wake up in the middle of the night, I just tell myself, okay, this is the worst time of the day to be thinking about these issues. You're half asleep. You're not thinking clearly. It's not good. Don't worry about your thoughts on this right now. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good rule of thumb. And I think a lot of people, the clientele that I work with has anxiety and not being able to sleep because of like replaying these right. conversations exactly. is such a common thing. Yeah. Yep. We, we can't trust our brain at night. I think you're right. <laughs> yep. So what do people do once they notice that they're in these loops? When someone notices what's going on, that they're in this loop, I, I think there needs to be some level of acceptance with it. And I don't mean that that means that you're allowing it to be there forever. You don't just accept that you're not confident and that you'll always second guess yourself. But it does mean that you accept where you're at right now. And I think that this is about taking responsibility for your thoughts and your emotions and not letting them control you. So this might sound like saying to yourself, okay, I accept that I'm having this feeling of self-doubt. I accept where I currently am in this moment. So we notice and then we accept. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of grounds you in the moment. But how do we move forward? Can you redirect your thinking to feel more confident? Yeah. And after you have noticed, you've accepted, 
now someone can choose to change. If they better understand what's happening, then they can decide to act from a place that is in alignment with their higher goals. So we can ask ourselves a couple questions here to help us redirect our thinking. So you could ask yourself, how would I advise a close friend who was in this situation? This brings a bit of self-compassion. I know you and I have talked about self-compassion quite a bit on the show, and it can help disrupt some of that negative self-talk for feeling this way. And you could also ask yourself, how would I feel if I knew everything was going to work out either way? And this cuts through some of that black and white thinking of seeing choices as either right or wrong. My philosophy is there are no wrong choices, only detours. And you can also ask yourself, what thoughts help me feel powerful or energized? That's the feeling we want when we're making decisions. We want to feel empowered. And this might look like bringing in some affirmations after. My personal one that I use all the time is, I got this. I got this. That is what I walk around all day saying saying to myself. And with this whole process of noticing, accepting, redirecting, the key here is repetition and dedication to this work. We can't do this process once and expect that self-doubt will completely disappear, but it's about becoming familiar with your patterns over and over and choosing differently until that becomes the default. Yeah, I think you have to learn from your past mistakes, right? Like, like if you're going to take the time to think about what you've done in the past, there should be something positive that comes out of it, right? Like, like you can't use that as a sticking point and presume you're never going to move forward. But in order to move forward, you're going to have to do something differently, is my view. Yeah, exactly. It's a place to learn from. And our past yeah. patterns, I mean, they continue to show up in our lives over and over until we address them. So if we can learn from them and what's going on, what's the undercurrent, what is this really triggering, then we can start to move forward from it. So I know when I'm in those loops, it's really hard for me to conceptualize what it would feel like to not be in those loops. What does it look like when you're confident? Like what's, what's the ideal? When someone is fully confident, they make decisions with ease. They don't look back and wonder. They keep moving forward. This is someone who speaks up at meetings when they have something to say, who applies for the new job and goes after what they want. This is someone who sets boundaries with others, protecting their time and energy and not being so concerned with what others think of them. And this is someone, I'll often use the phrase, someone that glows from the inside out. I have an upcoming program targeting specifically specifically confidence called shine on and this is what i'm helping people work towards it's this type of radiating confidence that shines from the inside out what are some of the, like you must see this with your clients they probably have some incorrect ideas about what confidence manifests like what it looks like what are some of the things that people think about confidence that it actually isn't true yeah sometimes people think that being confident means that you don't have any fear But we can't get rid of nervousness or fear completely. I'll use myself as an example. I'd say it's pretty confident of me to come on the radio and speak. But still, every time before I come on, I get a little nervous. My heart flutters. I pull out my lavender essential oil to help. And I do it anyway. I show up. That's confident. It's choosing to show up and knowing that you'll be okay no matter what happens. And I think that's another misconception is that people think you're either born confident or you're not, that it's something you have or it's something you don't. And I think it's something that is, that is learned, that even if you had critical parents, even if you were you know, the shy kid, you can learn how to become aware of those patterns, how to change your thinking and break through it. 
I think, you know, for me personally, I gain confidence when I gain experience, right? Like a lot of my issues are with the unknown, which I think a lot of people who who have anxiety issues, it's connected with the unknown. So the only way to deal with the unknown is to make it known. And, you know, I think once you do that, I think that's how you build confidence so that you can take on something new. I mean, I completely switched careers in my late 30s, early 40s, going from the practice of law into media. And I had to relearn all sorts of things. But you can't do that if you're not prepared to step out into the unknown. Absolutely, right? We need to take some risks and get out of our comfort zone. And, you know, when we do that, that's when we can build. And it's these small little steps, right? We don't have to know how to get to the top of the mountain. We just have to know how to take the first step. And then once we're walking, it becomes a lot easier to link those steps together. Yep. I think you're right. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me back, Jamie. That was Heather Lillico. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Does the fear of losing control keep you awake at night? Enjoy better sleep on something you can control. The Supreme Adjustable Bed by Ultramatic. Customize your back, leg, neck, and lumbar positions with push-button control for relief of back pain, arthritis, and sleep apnea. The Supreme. Take back control of your life. Try Ultramatic's Supreme Adjustable Bed for 100 nights, risk-free. Learn more at ultramatic.ca. Elevate your sleep. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Shauna Lindzen is a dietitian and nutritionist. She's a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate wellness lectures. She runs practical cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education. Her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and a lot of fun. And you can find a list of her nutrition classes and recipes at shaunalindzen.com. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. How are you? Good. We're going to be speaking hypothetically and theoretically today. Do you know why? Why? Because I plant zucchinis in my garden every year, and this year was a zucchini disaster. We we have oh. a, a huge plant that grew, and I got the blossoms, but then the zucchinis never came forth. And I don't know whether really? the, I don't know whether the, the animals got to them or there wasn't enough light. Everything else grew phenomenally well this summer. But not so much the zucchinis. So we're going to talk about zucchinis, Mm -hmm. but I don't have any zucchinis. (laughs) Did you get to enjoy the flowers? No, nothing. No, no, because you don't mess with the flowers if you think you're getting the actual zucchini. You're not allowed. Yeah, you don't pull the flowers off. Yeah. No, no, I could have done like the stuffed zucchini blossoms Mm -hmm. with ricotta earlier in the summer. But no, I thought we were going to get zucchinis, which never came around. So it's a sad story. Yeah, usually I'm sorry to hear that because typically zucchinis grow, they proliferate, like they grow into huge. Yeah, and the plant itself is like a little shop of horrors, right? So like I had Mm -hmm. these huge expectations. It takes over the whole whole bed. 
to not. So I don't know. There may not even be zucchinis next year. I don't. Oh. I may be right off them. It's a bad. You may ex- have to replant it or something. I, no, I don't know. I don't uh. know where we're going with it. <laughs> but for the time being, we should discuss for those who do have zucchinis, why, from a nutritional aspect, we might want to eat them. So zucchinis are a summer squash. Mm-hmm. So the difference between a summer squash and a winter squash is the summer squash has a thin skin, right? Right. That's edible. You don't want to peel the skin. Very healthy. The skin's full of fiber. It's dark green, right? Some yep. good plant chemicals in there. It's a low-calorie vegetable. Like, it's not very starchy. Mm-hmm. And it's full of folate, which is vitamin B, and potassium and fiber. It shines in the nutrition department. Okay. So even though I dropped the ball, zucchinis grow very well mm-hmm. in and around Toronto. So how can we use them? considering that they grow so well and people other than me probably have them in their garden. And they're so big. I was actually gifted a zucchini um, on the weekend from, we went out for dinner with friends and they have a garden in front of their house and they gave me a huge zucchini. I actually made three recipes out of one zucchini. Yeah. Like like a couple of years ago, they were growing so big in my garden, like, like as big as my arm. Like that's how big they are. They can grow up to three feet. Yeah. Yeah. They're really big. So I decide when I think of zucchinis, my mind goes in a few different directions. Like I, the first thing I decided to do, which I think most people do, is I shredded it and I made a chocolate chunk zucchini loaf. You think that's the first thing that people do? Yeah, I don't know. I grew up with that. Like my mom used to, um, she used to make that recipe. Okay. So I think you pair... Really? That, you don't think that that's like the first direction that people well, think? I've heard of zucchini breads and zuc- like mm-hmm. uh, sweet treatments, but you know, I think of it as a savory vegetable. But uh, hey, I'm not, knock- I'm not knocking your family. All right, so <laughs> you go sweet. Go ahead. Yeah, so I went straight to that. And my husband actually had his poker group over and they raved about it because I threw in some walnuts and mm-hmm. some chocolate chunks and the combination of the zucchini melting into... Like, it's it's just very moist, very, very yummy. The second thing I made, and I actually just posted this on my Instagram, if you want to check it out, it's Shauna Lynn, S-H-A-U-N-A-L-I-N. I posted zucchini fritters. Yeah. So the thing with zucchini, though, when you use it in a frying application, you have to make sure after you grate it that you squeeze all the water out. Yeah, I was going to say, because there's a lot of moisture in it. A lot of moisture. And it could make your fritter soggy. So I actually don't use paper paper towels. I use a tea towel. Yep. And I squeeze the water out. And then you just mix it with some flour. I actually put some fresh corn. I just cut corn off the cob and put fresh corn in there. Mm -hmm. And you just, a little bit of milk, you mix it all together, and you get this beautiful fritter. You just fry up these fritters. And I put a Greek yogurt lime sauce beside it with some fresh chives and I was in heaven. Yeah. I mean, when you squeeze it out though, one thing I will say is you're going to lose most of the mass of the zucchini, right? So you're going to not, you know, like if you want to make a lot of fritters, you're going to need an awful lot of zucchini to get there. I would say about two cups. I I think I used and I got about 12 or to 15 fritters with that. Sorry, two cups squeezed out or two cups pre-squeezed? pre-squeezed out because don't forget if you bulk it up with like corn and that type of thing and a little flour they it, it does bulk up a little bit gotcha if you put another vegetable in yeah 
The other thing that I love to do, and I actually just finished making it <laughs> about half an hour ago, is I make like a summer minestrone. Mm-hmm. And I literally put, I think, three to four cups of zucchini in it. And it kind of, it, it does shrink a little as well, like in the minestrone soup. And it, it just really goes well with tomatoes, like, yes. to, you know, tomato zucchini, just delicious. So, you know, I uh, have to say I've come around, but I used to hate zucchini. I just, I like, I didn't like the texture of it. It was like, really, yeah. yeah, it was, it was too limp and it just wasn't. It and bland. And bland, yeah. So it took me a while to figure it out, but I actually have a recipe, and it's really the only way I'll eat zucchini because it's because it wasn't my favorite because I make it myself and I'm a narcissist. This is yeah. the way I go. <laughs> so I will make. I will start with shallots, and yeah. I will saute shall, shallots in a combination of oil and butter, and with a little bit of chili flakes and then mini tomatoes. So I'm making a very, very rudimentary sauce. And then I cut the zucchini into discs. And once the sauce, once the tomatoes have released their liquid, I put the zucchini in and then I just slow cook it for a few minutes while pasta is boiling. And then by the time the pasta is ready, the zucchini will be ready. Like, and, and then you don't want to overcook it. You want to leave a little bit of texture on the zucchini. Mm-hmm. So when they, when they start to turn color, stop cooking it. And it's a great sauce. That sounds delicious. And my dietitian brain is saying add some white beans to that. And you've got yourself a beautiful vegetarian dinner or lunch with protein. Oh, that's a good idea. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, and then it's my dietitian brain, <laughs> and just balance it off, and you're done. Yeah, and sometimes what I'll do is I'll I'll blend in a pesto to give yeah. it a little body as well, um, and that's sort of my my go to sauce with zucchini. And I guess you could add a bit of lemon zest if you don't add the pesto, just to give it that little bit of fragrant, you know, citrus. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Where else do you go with zucchini? We have time for one more recipe, I would think. Do you know what? I, I did want to ask you, did you get into the spiralized zucchini years ago when the spiralizers were hot? No. I didn't either. I find when people want to make zucchini their pasta noodle, yeah. I think I'm going to be hungry after. Like I, do, yeah, I need like, a little bit more energy. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of food pretenders. Like I don't like yeah. the veggie patties that pretend to be hamburgers. I get it. If you're vegetarian and you want to have a burger or if you, you know, are going gluten free or you don't want, you know, you're, you're trying to cut down on the carbs and you want to have pasta, you could spiralize your zucchini and pretend, mm-hmm. but, but guess what? You're pretending. I know. Well, my other thing I love to do um, to answer your question about other recipes is I love to grill zucchini in long strips on the barbecue. And I like to see the grill marks. Yes. Like it kind of makes me happy, like to see that, you know, this long strip with grill marks, really pretty, put onto a grilled vegetable platter and then maybe make like a basil vinaigrette just to drizzle on top, just to give it that extra color and acid like if you put some red wine vinegar or some lemon juice delicious you know you can grill those strips but you can also lightly batter them and fry them up mm-hmm. and serve them with a tzatziki oh delicious like a, a zucchini chip yeah yeah exactly there is a notoriously expensive restaurant that has outlets in montreal uh, las vegas and new york and mm-hmm. is responsible for the most expensive meal that I have ever paid for in my entire <laughs> life in New York City, but their showstopper dish is actually the fried zucchini. 
Like, really? like literally the most expensive meal I've ever had. And it's the zucchini that was the showstopper. And you could recreate that really easily. Can you though? Like I don't have a deep fryer. Yeah, I have a deep fryer. You can borrow it. Okay. I never use it though. You're right. Like I think with the deep fryer and zucchini, you have to make sure that it doesn't absorb yeah. the oil. And another good, now that you talk about, you know, lightly battering it, you can make zucchini fries even in the oven with like a panko Parmesan crust. That would be delicious. Well, the thing that I think everybody likes about the zucchini at that restaurant is that it's cut really thin mm-hmm. and therefore it cooks quickly and therefore it's a little like it's crispy and firm. Whereas I find with the zucchini fries, we're getting into that mush that I don't Lip. like. So how big are they? Were they like thick? No, or? they're incredibly thin. That's the whole thin. thing. So And they're discs or they're... Um, no, they're strips. They're strips. Well, like they're kind of like elongated discs, right? So like they're mm-hmm. in between, they're cut on the bias. So like really they resonate as both, but I, I think they're long enough to be considered strips. So they cracked the code, like they, they figured it out. And yeah. that's what you're paying the big bucks for. Yeah. <laughs> we should open a restaurant one day. <laughs> yeah, we should. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jamie. That was Shauna Lindsay. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. Are you stressed out, feeling down, having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, enhance your mood, and sleep better. Discover De-Stress, Merry Mind Omega, and Sleep 8. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. And for more information, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Our next guest, Jelena De Silva, is a well-certified, passionate yoga teacher. Her love for yoga takes her across the GTA to teach at several studios and multiple clients. Her background in psychology and college athletics infuses her classes with a strong understanding of how mind and body function. Whether leading a large outdoor event or a classroom of yogis or in the home of a client or online, her philosophy for teaching is simple. Teach with love, empathy, patience, and humility. Yoga is a journey and not a destination. And if you're looking for more information about Jelena, you can visit jelenayoga.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I am well. Thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. We're going to talk about something that people may not be aware of. You think about running injuries and, you know, sports injuries like, you know, tennis and, you know, if you play football or hockey or whatever. But there's such a thing as yoga injuries, right? 
There is indeed the covert injury. Yeah. I mean, yoga, you think of as a gentle practice. Is it really a gentle practice? Is that true? The answer is yes and no. <laughs> yeah. Because there are aspects of yoga that are quite gentle. You have restorative yoga and yin sure. yoga, which actually can also be deceptively very difficult yes. when you're asked to hold intense postures for long periods of time. But there's parts of it where you just focus on the breath and you're quite still. But then if you shift into vinyasa and hatha, which are more vigorous by nature, that's when you start to encounter some tricky experiences and possible injuries. Right. And, you know, then there's these classes that, are, you know, have been marketed like power yoga and hit mm-hmm. and hit yoga. Even I've seen those classes. I don't know if you've taught, you, you teach that, but, but, you know, I've seen those types. And, and obviously if you're including other types of modalities into the actual classes, there's the potential for more injury, I would think. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. When you start to mold those different worlds together, you're going to encounter some more possibility for injury. And then also when we go into what are traditional yoga postures like downward facing dog or even different expressions of a lunge, we're starting to tap into muscles that we don't normally use. Right. And they may be weak or they may not be prepared for that movement. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone who's quite strong come to yoga and at the end of the class just looking at me desperately going, why was that so hard? Because you're accessing parts of you that are usually dormant until they come to the mat. Okay, so if that's true, what are the types of yoga injuries that you see happening? You know, there's a litany, (laughs) really. The places that are most targeted in yoga, I would say, for instability are places like your shoulders. It's such a tricky joint. There's so many stabilizing muscles that we need to activate there. Your wrists, because we're putting our entire body weight on the hands right away. That can be quite intense if you're not doing that. You know, if we're just texting and typing all day and then we start to walk on our hands. The low back is another place where people come to yoga to heal and then might encounter issues. And so people might cause injuries. And then you have the other side where people are coming to yoga thinking, this is gentle, this is kind. You know, I just got injured doing something else. I'll try yoga. So they're coming to the mat with an injury and then they have to learn how to accommodate that while they're practicing. So Right. And if you're the type of person, I don't know, like me, who's pretty competitive, you may not want to make those you know, subtle adjustments that you really need to do to protect yourself, right? Like you kind of want to, exactly. I want to yeah. do the poses right. Well, no, maybe you can't, right? Exactly. It's very humbling. And like that keyword that you said, subtle, there's so many subtleties where you're asking someone to feel your right pinky toe and squeeze the outer edge of your glute. And people are looking at you like, what does that even mean? But those are the things that keep you safe ultimately. So now we sort of identified that it's certainly possible to uh, to injure yourself during a yoga class or exacerbate an existing injury. What are some of the things that we can do to avoid that? For the longest time, I've been a huge advocate for yogis to lift weights. I think that weightlifting is invaluable for a number of reasons. It strengthens the major muscle groups. It strengthens the core. It adds better joint stability, just an overall sense of well-being. And um, you come to the mat a little bit stronger and more body aware. I see weightlifting as a mindfulness practice in and of itself. So I think that's key. And with the advent of online classes kind of burgeoning through the pandemic, you have people that are offering different kinds of strength training. So even if you don't have weights, you can do body weight work at home. And there's some great platforms that you can access to help with that. 
So those are things that I, I recommend is yeah. body weight and actual weightlifting. Through the pandemic, I, you know, I, I used, you know, my, my busy schedule with, you know, yoga and, and spinning and, and mm-hmm. all the other stuff I used to do. I've, I've actually transitioned to, to, to a lot more weight training. And because it is so easy to do from the home, it's like one of those things, don't have equipment. You know what? You can still, you can still push up, sit-ups, all the rest of it. You can lunges, squats. It's all doable, right? Exactly. It's so accessible. And I've had a lot of conversations with people where they say, sorry to the gyms, but I might not go back to the gym because they've right. explored these different avenues and realized what was right at their fingertips. Okay. So other than weightlifting, what else would you recommend to help? So for the homework of yoga, as I like to call it, there is Pilates. Mm-hmm. And I cannot recommend that enough for people that love to do yoga because to come back to the word subtle, it works the subtleties of the body. You know, it's it's the less glamorous side of things. Yep. It does kind of feel like homework because it's very repetitive. And this is where you need to find those teachers that are creative and can spice it up. But you're going to get into those areas that stabilize the shoulders, into those tinier muscles that are hard to get to, your gluteus medius to stabilize your hip and your core in particular, and also your your back body. One of the things that we neglect is strengthening our back. I have this theory, it's because we can't see it. So we're like, oh man, I forgot to take care of that. (laughs) Out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. But Pilates pulls you into your back body, pulls you into your core, stabilizes you and gets you ready for the the opening that, that yoga tends to bring. It's interesting. If you take yoga for a while, and you go to Pilates and, you know, if you don't know anything about Pilates, you think, oh, it's, it's like yoga. You're going to be doing a lot of the same moves. If anything, it's counterintuitive to yoga. It's almost like it's anti-yoga. I can't explain exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. The, the antithesis of, and even the breath moves in the opposite direction. Yeah. Like it, it's a bit of a challenge. If, you, if you've <laughs> taken yoga to go to Pilates, you're going to be scratching your head. It doesn't seem intuitive. And yet I know so many people who benefit from it. Especially for all those hyperflexible folks out there, Pilates is for you because even though you have this wonderful wide range of motion, you need to be able to stabilize that flexibility. And so it contains you. And for people that are used to being quite open, that sense of containment can feel a little bit restricting at first, but in the long run, it's really going to benefit you. Okay. What else would you recommend? I would recommend cross-training in different areas. There's a particular platform that I'm a a huge advocate for. It's called Mm mindfulstrength.ca. It's ran by a brilliant teacher, Catherine Bruni Young. She's been a movement specialist since she was 17. And she explores different ways to access strength. And she you know, challenges what the what strength looks like, what strength training looks like, and gives you all these different tools. She even dives into the topic of what pain is, what is good pain, what is bad pain, mm-hmm. and integrates that into the, the strengthening practice. So I like looking for those people that are being innovative and pulling from so many different worlds. So she pulls from strength training, from yoga, from Pilates, from functional range conditioning. All of that is drawn into one platform. So those are the people that I, uh, I recommend looking for. Cool. So earlier you mentioned one of the stress areas is being wrists. And I remember when I started practicing yoga, it was amazing to me, you know, how much weight bearing the hand and, and, and that part of your body was taking on with, with some of the moves. So, so how would you deal with that? Well, I think it's important to find teachers that integrate wrist strengthening and warm-ups at the start of the practice or do those exercise your, exercises yourself before you even come to the mat. So 
something as simple as doing finger flicks ahead of time. Like you're aggressively, actually, I'm going to use the analogy that will stick in your brain forever. It's like you're trying to aggressively flick boogers off your fingers. Okay. And that's going to warm up the joints and you'll never forget it now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it's in your brain forever. Doing things like that before you come to the mat, warming up the hands. There's one of my favorite teachers, Annie Carpenter, uh, teaches something called cupcake hands. You can even just Google it and the article comes up where you place your hand down on the mat with the pads of the fingers on the mat. And it's like you have a cupcake under your hand that you're trying not to squish. Mm-hmm. And you do your cat and cow movements in cupcake hands to warm up the joints around the fingers initially, uh, doing stretches for the wrist. If you have a tensor ball that you can squeeze and strengthen the hands, all of those things can be super helpful to, to prep the wrist for the practice. Got it. Okay. Well, we have time for one last area I'd like to explore, and that is sort of a little bit of biofeedback, yeah? Yes. Listen to your body. There is so much inner wisdom that our bodies hold, so much body intuition, but we tend to ignore it. Like for the longest time, the ethos was no pain, no gain. So there's that idea of like push past the pain and you'll get the reward. But pain is a messenger and it's telling us something. So learning to listen to the body and when to back off becomes integral. A phrase I like to say in practice quite often is our body knows things before we do. And it's our job to listen to it which can also be very humbling. You know, like you were saying, if you're competitive, you want to keep pushing and you have to learn to, to draw back and be like, oh, maybe I should listen. Right. And so when we're talking about pain, you know, like there's pain, which suggests that, you know, your your muscles are being stretched and that can be fine. It's the sharp pains, right? It's those, yes. oh, pains that you get that you really have to pay particular attention to. At least that's yes. my experience. Those are the ones where you have to stop doing what you're doing, right? Exactly. Once you start to see it, like it's like the warning shot across the bow when you experience that step away versus safe discomfort, like you've been holding a squat for five breaths and your thighs are burning. That's okay. Right. Versus the sharp discomfort. You want to avoid that. I'm going to add one to your list of, of things that can help you avoid injuries, okay? Please do. And that is be with a good instructor and have them watch your form because an instructor yes. can see if, if you're misaligned, if you are putting, uh, you know, if you're using the wrong muscles to strike a pose, you know, we, there are different ways to hit a pose and you can use the wrong muscles where you're putting strain on area of your body, which, which isn't appropriate. And a good qualified yoga instructor will see that in a, in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Going to their class, or this is where I recommend hiring a yoga teacher, even if it's just for one private yoga session, it's worth the investment for them to have a look at your body in the different shapes and point out where you might need to make adjustments. It's, it's a good investment in the long run. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was Jelena De Silva. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Juliana Rosario Jung ND, Heather Lillico, Shauna Linzen, and Jelena De Silva. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The September-October issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. 
Next week on the show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.